But as we come into our last sermon uh, this week of our mini-series, Beholding Jesus, um, I want to remind us of what we've been looking at. What have we been looking at? We've been looking at the person of Jesus and his work with the hope that as we encounter him in the scriptures, that we would be uh, transformed by him, that we would behold his glory, that we would behold his character, and that it would shape our lives. And so over these last few weeks, we've looked at Jesus as being supreme, the supreme eternal God, Son of God, the divine Son. We've looked at Jesus as God in the flesh, the servant Savior of this world. We've looked at Jesus, who is the head of the church. Last week, we looked at Jesus, who was the good shepherd. And this week, we come to seeing Jesus, the first fruits. And I'm really excited about this week's passage because it's a really foundational one. Christ is the first fruits. Uh, has, a, has great implications for our lives today. And so I'm really excited to unpack uh, our passage this morning. But our passage does come from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. So if you'd like to turn there with me in your Bibles, I do believe it might be behind me as well. Yes, it is. Um, if you'd like to follow along with me in your church Bibles, it's page 1142. And we'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 23. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I, believe, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are found even to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom we did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ.
Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come uh, to your word and thank you that we have it. We thank you that you've made yourself known to us uh, in your word and that you work by your spirit to continually uh, impress upon us the truths that are in your word. And so we praise you for that this morning and for the wonderful privilege that it is that we can um, behold you uh, as we see you as the first fruits and what that means for us today. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to uh, turn away from distractions uh, in our minds and in our hearts that often pull at us throughout the, throughout the day. Lord, help us to really be fixated on you this morning and to, and to be intently learning and sitting at your feet. Uh, Lord, would you give us receptive hearts. I pray for the words to say that you would use me as a vessel for your work. Uh, Lord, that it would be spoken in truth um, and in boldness that comes only uh, through you and your spirit working. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we all want some kind of hope that this life isn't all there is. We want to know that one day there will be relief from suffering. We want to know that this life has some kind of meaning and purpose. You know, part of us longs to have some form of ongoing significance that when we die, it doesn't end there. Even atheists hold something. And I can say that because I was an atheist. And for me, I didn't necessarily believe in life after death, but I still wanted some ongoing significance which brought me hope in the face of death. See, part of me didn't want to believe that death meant the end of me. And so what I wanted was I wanted to be shipped away in a capsule aimlessly in the universe to continue going for all of eternity. See, I wanted ongoing significance. And that's what I grasped to. See, even unbelievers grasp for some kind of hope beyond their death. But where is true hope found? Where can we have confidence Knowing that this life is not lived in vain, can we have a confidence that this life isn't all there is? And can we have a hope in our suffering? And this morning, we're going to look into where that hope is found. And it's a hope that we can have in life and in death. And it's also the only hope that we have in life and death. And that is Christ's resurrection. So this morning, I want us to see that Christ's resurrection is our hope in life is our hope in life and death. And we'll unpack that by looking at a few points. We'll see that if there's no resurrection, then everything's vanity, that everything's vain. Then we'll see that Christ's resurrection is something that does bring us hope. And then we're going to spend some time together unpacking, actually, what does it look like uh, to have hope-filled living? What does that really look like for us today? So our passage this morning, which we've just read from Corinthians is written by Paul, and this is a letter that he's writing to the church to address and correct false doctrines and practices. Now, they've crept their ways into the lives of this church. Doctrines and practices that arise from their past lives, uh, before they were following Christ, but also things that were really prevalent within the culture that they were in. See, this was a, a Roman colony. It was a place where there was a lot of international trade going on. And so there was a lot of multicultural influences happening. And the issue that we see him address in our passage 
is centered around the physical resurrection of the dead. In verse 12, it indicates to us clearly that there were some in the church that were claiming that there was no physical resurrection of your body. Here's some reasons why. As I mentioned, it was a Greek colony in Corinth. And the Greeks, they're famous for their philosophy, and they're also great, uh, famous for their skepticism. Um, and so part of the way that their philosophy and skepticism presented itself was that they, they believed that the soul was immortal. They had no problem with believing that there was life after death, but they believed that the body was a prison. And so to reunite the soul back to the body after death was a, was a humiliating thought. Another reason is that they believe, some believed that it was just impossible for the dead to be raised. And another reason was that some in the early church believed that the resurrection had already happened, that it was purely a, a spiritual resurrection, but there was no physical attribute to it at all. See, all of those are probable, and we aren't exactly sure of the reason that was happening in Corinth at this time, but that's okay. But what's important to see is to know that there was an objection and to see that what they were objecting uh, and denying was a crucial doctrine of the physical resurrection and to see that that had massive effects on the outworkings of their faith. And so Paul's logical argument towards us, which we'll unpack together, is that if you're denying the physical resurrection, the physical bodily, bodily resurrection after death, then you are also denying Christ's resurrection from the dead. And if Christ was not raised, then you have no hope in life and death. So how do we see that argument? Well, the first thing we see in verses 13 to 19 is that if there's no resurrection, then life is vain. So let's spend some time unpacking that together. Verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And so there's a causal relationship, okay, between our resurrection and Christ's resurrection. They are knitly, tightly knit together. And Paul is saying, okay, if you believe that there is no resurrection from the dead, then you also need to see that you are saying that Christ did not rise from the dead. And he goes on, verse 14, and if Christ was not, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So how is their preaching in vain? Well, because part of their, their, their gospel proclamation is the power of the resurrected Christ. Right? If you remove that as being true, then everything about the gospel collapses. Everything. And the gospel becomes nothing. It becomes a vain message. It becomes wish-wash. TV infomercials would be more relevant to us. And further in verse 15, their preaching would be in vain because then they would be found to be misrepresenting God because they testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. See, in verses 1 to 8, Paul has already reminded them about the gospel which they had received. He's reminded them about the gospel that they've been saved by and he stresses a lot of his time on Christ's resurrected appearances to many. You know, he stresses that he, was, uh, he was, um, appeared before the apostles and even 500 other people. You know, that's a lot of eyewitnesses to see Christ raised from the dead. But they would all prove to be liars to what they saw and they'll be found hideously guilty by misrepresenting God in such a, such a 
crazy way if Christ had not actually been raised from the dead. And so what does that mean? That means that the whole New Testament would come into question of its validity because our New Testament's given to us by the writings of the apostles and the apostolic witness. And so if we can't trust the apostolic witness, then we can't trust our New Testament. See, that's quite huge. So the resurrection, it's no small doctrine. And how we understand the resurrection, it shapes the rest of our faith. And so how is their faith in vain? Their preaching would be in vain, but how would the the church's faith be in vain? What we see in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. So for something to be futile, it it means that it's useless. So why would it be useless? Well, because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, one thing would be that he himself isn't claim, isn't who he claimed to be. You know, Jesus claimed to be the saviour of the world. He claimed, came to, to die on the cross and said that I'm going to rise from the dead. And Romans 1 uh, verse 4 says that Christ was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Okay, Jesus Christ our Lord. His resurrection proved that he was who he said he was. The Son of God. So if you remove the resurrection, we remove his own declaration to be the Son of God. And he becomes no more than a failed Messiah. And it would further be in vain because it would mean that they would then still be in their sin. Because you can't have salvation without the physical resurrection of Christ from the dead. You can't. There is no gospel without the resurrection. So the physical resurrection was a necessary part to accomplish God's saving work. In Romans 4, 25, it talks about Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up to the cross for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. So the work of atonement was done on the cross. The debt had been paid. Christ was the sacrifice. He took our place. But the righteousness and the perfection, the ongoing righteousness and perfection that we have before God, in which we stand in, is contained forever in the risen Lord. If Christ was not raised, then we have no mediator, then we have no living representative for us to stand in. So the gospel is the life, is the death and the resurrection of Christ. We can't forget that last one. And so if you remove one element of that, you don't have a gospel. And we're still guilty before God in our sin. And if we're still in our sins, then verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. People who have had faith in Jesus and died, they've gone to eternal death. They haven't gone into eternal life because they are still under God's wrath and their sin. And then if that's the case, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If if Christ was not raised, then Christians are to be pitied more than anybody else. Christians make decisions that in the world's eyes is absolutely crazy. 
right? We, we take up our own crosses and we deny ourselves worldly pleasures. We turn from indulging in all that the world has to offer. We give our money away. We give our possessions away. We deny career positions. We take up other career positions for God's sake and we're willing to suffer and even die for our faith, in which many people have done throughout history. See, we live lives that the world looks at and says, you guys are crazy. And if there is no eternal hope, if in the end there is just destruction for us, then we are most to be pitied because we would be crazy because we'd be living with a false, false hope in this life, wouldn't we? We'd be believing in a false saviour, a false gospel, thinking that we're saved, but we're actually on our way to destruction. See, if there's no bodily resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then there is no eternal hope of salvation. And if there's no eternal hope, then there's no living hope. That is the logical conclusion of denying the physical resurrection after death, that there is no hope in life and in death. But Paul goes on to remind them and encourage them of the hope that they do have. So he changes gear. In verse 20, but Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. What does a first fruit mean? Well, a first fruit is the first fruits of the harvest. Now, the first fruits that come up on the trees, it means that the greater harvest is about to come. Right, so that was very familiar for the people that Paul was writing to, the first fruits. See, Christ was the first fruit to be raised from the dead. And because he is, we know that we can be confident that there will be a greater harvest to follow. And so because Christ has been raised... That means that those who live by faith in him will also be raised. There will be a greater harvest. And so that means that there is a hope in life and death, which means that they're preaching. It's not in vain. It means that the gospel message is the power to save. Their faith is not in vain. Their daily walking and living with God, it's not pointless, but it actually has eternal weight to it. They've been saved from their sin. We stand forgiven and we stand justified. The dead in Christ, they haven't perished, but they've gone to life. And so you do have hope in this life, but also the next, because you will be raised. And how does Christ assure of this, assure us of this? How can we know it is sure and that it is done? Well, verse 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam was the first man. Adam's sin and rejection of God meant death for him, but also all who followed with him. And we've all followed with him in sin. See, he was the first fruit of death. But Christ, who was the second Adam, who was without sin, he rose from the dead. And so too will those who trust in him for salvation. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. See, as sure as we have died in Adam, which we are pretty sure of because sin means death and destruction, as sure as that is true, which it is true, then as sure 
It is for us that we will have life if we look to Christ by faith. We will have life with him and be risen with him. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his second coming, those who belong to Christ. See, if we die now, the hope that we have is that in faith we'll be with Christ. We will be. The spiritual resurrection has already happened. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places now. We do have confidence to come before God in his throne room. We are with him. We live lives uh, in union and communion with God now. But when Christ comes again to restore all things, we'll be risen with him and reunited to bodies like his. We read a little bit further on from our passage this morning in verses 42. Paul goes on in his argument about the resurrection, but he, but he unpacks what this body will be like. He says, what is sown, which is our bodies, if we die? Our bodies are sown into the earth. They're sown perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. In verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, which is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's a glorious hope that we have. It really is. I was reading that this week and I was thinking about that and I just thought, amazing grace. Amazing grace. And an amazing hope that we have in life now and in the eternal life to come. So what does that actually practically mean to live in that hope? Well, I'd like to spend a bit of time together this morning unpacking that. What is hope-filled living? We have hope in Christ's resurrection. But what does that actually look like? Let's walk together and connect hope with that living because if we miss connecting those dots what it will be like is it will be like looking at a really delicious and tasty meal and having no idea how to eat it. Okay, so if we go so far as affirming Christ's resurrection as hope in life and death, but we, we don't understand how to ingest that and how that actually takes effect in our lives today, okay, we're going to fail to see its relevance and we're going to fail to, to live in these glorious truths. So let's unpack that. The first thing I want to unpack is what hope is. And I want us to see that there's a difference between hoping in something in the wishful sense and then hoping in something in a confidence sense. There's a big difference. See, if I was a runner in a marathon and you said to me, good luck, David, I hope you do well. And I said, yeah, I really hope I, I do. I hope I finish it. There's even a, a prize for first place. Now that's a, that kind of hope is uncertain, isn't it? As I hope that doesn't bring confidence that you know you will. You, you hope you will, but you don't know if you will or not. So you're going to run the race, but you're unsure of the outcome. So you hope that you'll pass, you hope that you might win, but you're uncertain. But that's not the kind of hope that we have as Christians. See, Christian hope is not wishful thinking. Now, it's not like we just live and don't know what the outcome is for us. Our hope is founded in, in confidence. Our hope is that our future is already secured. See, we know the outcome of the race. We know that in Christ, we win. In Christ, we've already won. 
being united to him by faith in his victory. He's, he's won it. So if by faith we're with him, then we've won. Because he was resurrected, the first fruits, then we know for certain that we will have life and that we'll, we will be raised too. And so we don't live this life in a blind hope. We don't run without confidence, but we run with confidence, with our hope and our vision on what is already true for us, our eternal life risen with Christ. And when we see that that is true and we can have a confidence, that will absolutely transform the way that we live today. It really will, and it does. Christ's resurrection is not just something that impacts us in our next life, but it it impacts how we live now. Eternal hope influences our living hope. And I want to see that, uh, show us that there's three ways that this is true, and there's lots of ways. But I just wanted to highlight three ways this morning. The first one is that we have hope in life because Jesus was resurrected. If we respond to his work by faith and repentance, then we are forgiven for our sins. Now, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. So we don't live with a blind hope saying that, I hope I'm okay with God. We don't say, I hope that I'll be with him in the end. Don't know if I will, but I hope I will be. We don't have that, but we can know. And and in 1 John 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, we can know if we have believed in Christ then we have eternal life. Our debt is clear. We are forgiven. And sometimes we can doubt. Sometimes we feel condemned. But in Christ, the debt is paid. I don't know if you've ever had the feeling before of an unpaid invoice or an unpaid bill. And there's this, all of a sudden, there's this massive you know, weight that comes on, you go, oh, I didn't realize that that wasn't paid yet. And then we sort of wonder sometimes, oh, is there anything that I haven't paid yet? Because if I did, that means that that's gaining interest. That means that I'm, I'm still in debt. But the invoice has been paid before God. It's gone. It's completely gone. We don't have to worry about it. There is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. We can know that we are forgiven, that we stand before God cleansed and righteous in Jesus' blood. We can know it. The second one is that we have hope in life that because Jesus was resurrected, then that means that our faith is not in vain. Which means that every decision that you have made in your life to live for Christ is not in vain. It's not. But it's glorious. And it's the most important thing. Our hope And treasure is in heaven with Christ. And we live for that and not this world. And sometimes that's a really hard decision to make. Our money, our time, our resources, sometimes that's really hard to give those up. But every single cent, every effort, and act of faithfulness is never in vain, ever. 
And so continue on. Continue on walking with Jesus, knowing that our lives that we live with him is not in vain. Let's live lives that long to hear when Christ comes back, well done, good and faithful servant. And if we continue on, that will be what Christ says to us. And thirdly and finally, we have hope in our present suffering because our hope ultimately is in our next life. I want us to imagine that there's two people, imagine two people, and there's two separate lines. But both of these people need their hips replaced. Okay? And they're in absolute agony. One of those people is standing in line for their hip surgery. And they know that while it's painful now, it's not going to be like that forever. And so they wait and they bear the pain with hope. The other one is not in line for hip surgery, but they actually find themselves in the line to climb Mount Everest. And so they know that it's painful now, but they have no hope that it's going to get any better. Only more pain to come. And so they wait, but not with hope. They wait with despair. They try to make the most of their time in the line because they know that it's only going to get worse. See, in life, there's only two lines. And we're standing in one of them. There's one of faith and there's one of unbelief. The line of unbelief has no living hope that things will ever get better because the path of sin is destruction. And so it would be true that the best life would be this life. But there is no hope because in light of eternity, maybe a hundred years that we have now, will be nothing. And those hundred years will be a testimony to God's acts of justice and goodness, who in his perfection pours out his wrath against evil. And so the, the lives that we live would be vain. There will be no hope there. But the line that we wait in faith has a hope even in the hardest parts of life. Because we wait with eagerness. We wait for, with eagerness for the restoration of all things, including our bodies. See, we suffer. We suffer from chronic illnesses. We suffer from sickness, pain, hardship, and death. See, our souls are new, but our bodies, they groan. They groan under the weight of sin in this world. But one day, those things will be gone. Our bodies will be resurrected to new life with no pain, with no death, bodies like Jesus's, enjoying him in full restoration forever. See, we stand in line for people with limps going into hip surgery. We have a hope. See, we have a hope in our suffering that lies in our next life. In Christ's resurrection, it brings us hope in life and death. And Christ is the first fruits. As we look to him, it gives us confidence of the life that he has called us into. And so I wanted to close this morning with the exhortation of Paul at the end of this chapter. In light of all of these things, and we can rope in the last four weeks as well, in light of all these things about who Christ is and what he has done, in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
Let's continue in the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray together as we close this morning. Jesus, it is a wonderful thing that in your grace you have saved us into. To be people that are risen with you now and life with you and to know the, the wonderful hope that we have for all of eternity. Father, that is a wonderful gift of grace. It is amazing. Lord, help us to be people that really rejoice in that. Lord, this world has so much uh, distractions in it. It calls us. Our sin, it calls us. Satan calls us. It calls us to, to try and have our hope in this life. But Lord, we know that that would be a life of vanity. And so Lord, help us to turn our eyes off of those things, to live lives that hope in you, in your resurrection, that that would be what we rejoice in because of, Lord, what you have purchased for us. Lord, we thank you that we have a hope in our suffering. We thank you that we can have a confidence. We thank you for the newness that we can look forward to. And it'll be an eternity where we would just sit and be in wonder of your work. And it will never get a hold. So we have an eternal joy waiting for us, which we get to taste now in our union with you and fellowship with you and with one another in Christ. And so we pray that this morning we would be people that really uh, enjoy that as a church, as a community, that we would be people who continue steadfastly immovable, always abounding in the work of you, knowing that our work and labor in you is never in vain. Lord, we be people that live lives in light of the resurrection, lives of joy, lives of faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.